0: It's good to see you tonight. What powerful words. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that believe that the Bible is nothing but some archaic writings that really have no relevance for us today. But these words are timeless. Timeless. Because it is the holy words of an eternal God. His wisdom is not based on the time that we live in, but based on his infinite wisdom. As he sees all things and knows all things, and I hope tonight as we study those scriptures, we'll keep that in mind. That these words mold us, they guide us, they change us if we'll allow them to. And they impact us. I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Psalms. Chapter 90, as we start our study tonight, Psalms chapter 90. This psalm, particular psalm, is unique in that it's attributed to Moses. Uh, Most of the psalms are written by David or Asaph, one of the other psalmists, if you will. Uh, But this one's attributed to Moses, and I want to start out by reading... A few of these verses, once we get to verse 8, we'll stop and pause and talk about it, and then we'll finish with verses nine, and, 9 through 12 up on the screen. Psalms 90 and verse 1 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. And carry them away like a flood, or you carry them away like a flood rather. They are like a sleep. In the morning they are like the grass which grows up, in the morning it flourishes and grows up, and in the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. As Moses reflects upon himself and upon God, he begins to identify that God is not like us, God is not like a man. God is eternal. He says, "Before the worlds were ever created, God, you were everlasting to everlasting." He says, "A thousand days are like a watch in the night, a three-hour period. A thousand days, a thousand years, rather, is a long time. Our country hasn't even existed for. A quarter of that. Seems like it's been here forever, right? He says, God, to you a thousand years are just a few hours. But he said, we're not like that. Our life is cut off quickly. It's like the grass that grows up and in the evening it's cut down. Do you ever think about the eternal nature of God? That's hard to fathom, isn't it? That God has no beginning and God has no end. And, and time is very relative to us. We, we live in a world that is confined by space and time, and, and sometimes we think we've got all the time in the world. Other times we think, well, time has passed rather quickly, and it's really relative to where we are in our life. But as Moses writes this, I want to notice in verse 9, after he reflects on the eternal nature of God and upon the short life of man, he says these words, For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, but if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as as the fear of you, so is your wrath." So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Seventy years, Moses said. About 3,500 years ago, Moses writes this and says, Seventy years are the allotted days of man. Not much change, has it? What's the life expectancy in America? Seventy-three? Somewhere around there? Seventy-three? And some of you that are very young are thinking, That's a long time. Some of you are past that, aren't you? And you're thinking, that's not a very long time. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm 42. And I I look back and I go, well, I was just a kid yesterday. It just passes so quickly. And he says, you know, that's about how long man lives, 70 years. And if they reach 80 years, well, those are bonus years. But really, what's the glory of those years? He said, it's labor and sorrow And some of you know this, don't you? You reach that age and all of a sudden your energy is not what it once was. Your strength is not what it once was. You don't have the motivation that you once did. And you know what happens? Life gets hard. The longer we live, the harder life gets. And what what does he want us to learn from this? He says, given all that, knowing you're eternal and our life is short. Teach us to number our days. I don't believe he means literally. Who here can know exactly how many days you have? We don't know, do we? Sometimes we estimate that, but we really don't know. And that's really not the point. But what I believe Moses is asking God to teach us is what we're told in Hebrews chapter 9.27 where the Bible says, that, is it appointed as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. This is what he means, teach us to number our days. Teach us to live in wisdom, apply our heart to wisdom, to gain a heart of wisdom so that we understand who you are and who we are, and we live our life according to that truth. Every single person here will meet God one day. It's inevitable every person who lives by their own truth and thinks that my truth is my truth, one day your truth will intersect the truth of God. You will meet him. You'll stand before him. You will give an account. And he says, let us understand that. Let us focus on that and keep that in our mind and in our heart so that we live our lives in wisdom. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You know, this is somewhat unique as well. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah and he tells Hezekiah, Your days are numbered. You're sick, and this sickness will take your life, Hezekiah. And he says, Set your house in order. What do you mean by that? We would say, Get your affairs in order. Your time is limited. And you know, Hezekiah, he reacted very similar to probably the way that we would act. He was sorrowful about that. He, he prayed to God for more days. And you know, Hezekiah being an exception, God gave him more days. What he said here was true. Remember, Lord, I've walked before you with a loyal heart and in truth. And God extended his years. You know, it would be rather convenient if we knew when we were going to leave the earth, wouldn't it? If God came to us, sent a prophet to us and said, Hey, your time's short, so get your house in order. I think that would be convenient. But the question is, how would we live? How would we live if someone like Isaiah came to us and said, you've got two weeks. Do you think we'd change anything? Do you think we might make some priorities different? Ecclesiastes 7 and 2 says this, and this is a very hard truth. He says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You know, when I read this, you know what I think? I don't like that. In fact, I don't, I don't agree with that. That's my fleshly, side. I don't agree with that. You know, today my wife was throwing a birthday party for our niece. I'd rather be there than at a funeral, wouldn't you? Celebrating life. That's what he says. It's better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. Well, you're crazy, Solomon. He doesn't say it's more fun. He doesn't say it's more enjoyable. It's more pleasurable. He says it's better to go to a funeral than a birthday party. And you know why? Because when we go to a funeral, we recognize our mortality and we take it to heart. Now look at verse 3, Sorrow's better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. You know what the truth is? Sometimes our heart is not right. It's not right. We think it is. We're fine, we're complacent, we feel like our heart is just fine, and then something happens, we get that call that it's terminal. And you know what? The heart is pricked and struck by that reality. And sometimes the heart is sick and it's wrong. And types of situations like this, it wakes us up. It shocks us out of that stupor. It grabs us. And all of a sudden life gets serious. It gets serious. I want to go back to the flood for a moment. I want to think about these people, and as we read about the coming of the flood, the Lord says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, in that he is also, or indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now, I don't believe that he's saying from this time on, man will only live a maximum of 120 years. We see Abraham living much longer than that later. God wasn't putting a max on how long people live, but rather, he's... He's starting a timer. In 120 years, I'm destroying man. And what happened during that time? How long were people living? What if somebody came to you and said, you've got 120 years, set your house in order. You know what I think? I'm not doing that. (laughs) I got 120 years? How would you live? Would you take life that seriously if you really knew you had 120 years to live? These people were living 900 years. 900 years plus. You know what they did? They lost their sense of mortality. When you live 900 years, death does not seem imminent. Life being cut off, that's a long time away. You're 300 years old, you go, I'm just a kid. 900 years, they lost their sense of being able to number their days, you know what happened? Only evil continually in the hearts and imaginations of men. We think it's bad today, and it is, but it's not there yet. They lived in a world where the judgment of God was a long way off, and I believe they forgot it. They forgot all about it. You know what was happening during that time? The Bible says, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. Listen, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching righteousness. What does that mean? I believe that means that he was preaching to turn, to repent to turn to God, to live right, to live according to the will of God. That's what Noah and his family were doing. And Noah was out preaching. And I bet he was crazy Noah to the people. You imagine this guy comes to you and says, one of these days water's going to fall from the sky. Well, you people here in Plainview would be skeptical about that, wouldn't you? We don't see water fall out of the sky very often. But imagine you lived in a world where that had never happened. Not one time. And this guy says, the heavens are going to open. Water's going to follow the sky and flood the earth. And you go, that guy's crazy. Oh, that's that guy building that boat. Crazy Noah. You know what they did? They ignored him. And they went about living life. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 24. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. As for as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know. What were they doing? Living life. Enjoying life. Living in the moment. They ignored the warnings. They ignored him, telling them, judgment's coming. Get ready. Repent, because the flood's coming. They just went about living life, enjoying what this world had to offer. Is that how you live? In pleasure? Just doing whatever you decide feels good, doing what you decide is right. That's what these people did. Until the day when the flood came. You imagine one day you're walking, and all of a sudden you feel something wet hits you on top of the head. You go, well, that's weird. And all of a sudden you look up in the sky, and this sheet of water just comes down. And your first thought is, where's my wife and kids? And this water starts coming down, so you run home. You run toward the house, and you grab your kids, and you say, we've got to go find noah and you get there and by this time the water is about this high and it's getting really serious and so you beat on that ark you say Noah, let us in it's too late god's already sealed the ark and you go away and you try to find high ground but it's too late it's just coming up too fast And maybe at some point you've got your kids, and you're holding them above your head, so maybe they'll survive just a little bit longer than you will. You think life's pretty serious at this point? But the truth is, it's too late. You didn't listen to the warning. You ignored that judgment was coming, and judgment caught you unaware. And they knew not until the flood came, and it took them all away. And that's the way it's going to be for a lot of people. They don't number their days. They just live in the moment they enjoy the pleasures and luxuries and comforts that this world has to offer. But one day Jesus is coming back. And you have no guarantee that that you'll live until that day comes. So I want to ask you tonight, are you numbering your days? You say, "I, I still don't understand what you mean by that. I want to read from the book of Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians 5 and verse 14, it says, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is what it means to number your days. Here's what it means. Wake up. Quit walking around thinking that everything is okay. Quit walking around living life flippantly, being unaware that there is trouble in this world, there is danger in this world, there is evil everywhere. Have your head on a swivel and walk circumspectly. And what you need to do is every single day you wake up, you need to say this What is the will of the Lord for me? What's the will of God? That's what it means to number your days. Every day, I live in fear of God. I live and serve God because my days are short, and one day I'm going to meet Him, and it, maybe it's today. Maybe it's today. If somebody came to us and said, You've got two weeks to live, we would make some drastic changes. And I'll tell you one thing we would change we would pray without ceasing. We'd pray every day. And it wouldn't be some ritual. It wouldn't just be checking off the box, I prayed to God today. It wouldn't just be around the dinner table. I mean, we would pray. We would pour our heart out before God. We'd tell Him our fears. We'd tell Him our troubles. We would thank Him for every blessing that we had. We'd be thankful. And that's the will of God in Christ for us. And if we had two weeks to live, we would do that every single day, multiple times a day. We would pray. And the question is, why are we waiting until we have two weeks to live? Because if we're numbering our days, we'll pray like that every single day. We'll be thankful. We'll put our trust and hope in Him. I'll tell you what else we do. Psalms one nineteen fourteen says this, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. As much as in all riches, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. If we had two weeks to live, we would love God's word. I didn't say we'd read it. I said we'd love it. We would love God's word. We wouldn't read out of obligation. We wouldn't just read to read. We would study it. We would meditate on it. We would let it apply to our heart. We would love it. We would crave it. You know why? Cuz we'd want to be as close to God as we could be. Because we knew I'm going to see him soon. Hebrews chapter 10:23 says this, "Let us hold fast the confession of our faith or our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, if we had six months to live, you know what where we'd be when it was Sunday and Wednesday night? Right here in these pews. Every time. Every time. We'd want to be with God's people. We'd want to draw near to our high Priest. We'd want to tell God of his greatness. We would worship him. We would mean it when we sang the words, "Greater you, Lord. How can I keep from singing your name? We would praise God with everything we had, and we would seek to be encouraged and encourage others. You know why? Because life got serious. And all of a sudden, it's not a game anymore. And I've only got a limited time to praise God and show him my heart. We'd be here. We wouldn't make excuses. We wouldn't put other things ahead of it. We would be with God's people and drawing close to God. That's where we'd be. Something else we would do is we'd examine our life. Second Corinthians chapter 13 and five says, "Examine yourselves to see, if you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test." You know, it's interesting to me how people get so upset when someone tells them about a problem in their life. You ever notice that? You know, if somebody tells you, well, you know, I think you're kind of prideful. You know what we do? We get prideful. (laughs) And then we get upset. But we go to a doctor when something's wrong physically. You know what we say? Judge me, doc. (laughs) Run your tests. And if they say it's inconclusive, what do we say? Run some more. Keep testing. Figure out what's wrong with me. I want to be right. You keep on testing. I want you to give it to me straight, doctor. Right? And then somebody does that to us spiritually. You know what we say? Don't you judge me. Don't you test me. Don't you examine me. You know why? Because we don't number our days. We're more worried about our physical health than we are being right with the Lord. We should love God so much and want to please Him that if the most untrustworthy, unrespectful person rebuked us, we'd at least consider it. Because it's not about them. It's about us being right with God. You know, if we had two weeks to live, we'd find somebody that knows us, and we'd say, "I want you to tell me what's wrong in my life." and don't pull any punches. Because I'm about to go meet the Lord, and I want to make sure that I'm right before I do. Tell me. Test me. Examine me. Help me. Help me to know what's wrong in my life so I can correct it. Acts 24 and verse 24. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. What do you suppose it was that Felix didn't want to do? I would say righteousness sounds like a pretty good thing. I'm sure he did. He he wanted that. He was interested in that. What about judgment to come? Well, that's probably what caused him to tremble, don't you think? But you know why he said, go away? Go away. Self-control. Self-control. You know what? Because there's times that self control's just not convenient. <laughs> it's just not convenient for me to change my life today or next week or next month. But if we had two weeks to live, you know what we'd say? I'm changing today. I'm going to do it now. You know why? Because there is no convenient time. And here's the reality. There's never going to be a convenient time for you to repent. If you're waiting for convenience, that's not coming If you need a change, you just change. What is a convenient time? When is that convenient time? What's interesting is people will make all kinds of excuses for not repenting. The battle's too hard. You don't know the things that I deal with. It's just too much. I can't stop. But you know when people are diagnosed with a terminal illness, I've seen people who have had a pornography addiction for years, put it aside and never look at it again. Why is that? What changed? Nothing really, except for their perspective. I've seen people who live their life as an alcoholic, who get diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver. They say, you got four months to live. You know what they do? They don't take another drink. They don't ever drink again. But up until that point, it's just too hard, I just can't stop. It's the same for drug addiction or for any other sin. When life gets serious and we recognize our days are numbered, we don't make excuses, we just repent. We just stop. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for somebody to come and tell you life is short? Look, okay, here it is. Life is short. (laughs) It is, it's short. There's no guarantee that you're going to live. Stop sinning. Just stop. As Paul preached before King Agrippa, Paul said, For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. He knows about the life of Jesus, he's saying. For I'm convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Paul says, do you believe? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. You think Agrippa would have been almost persuaded if he knew his death was soon? I don't. He would have got persuaded, wouldn't he? Tell you something else we'd do if we had two weeks to live. We quit making excuses about obeying the gospel of Christ. We get in the water tonight. That's what we do. We've talked about the gospel all week. Maybe some of you here have been thinking about doing that, and you keep on thinking about when you're going to do that. And I want to ask you the same question that Paul was asked What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Do you know that the, 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 do you have a day set for that? What are you waiting for? If we really were numbering our days, we'd do it now. we do it now. Because when we number our days, we recognize the truth that is in James chapter 4. James says, come now. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. For as you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You ever notice how sometimes you hear people saying, hey, I'll see you later. Lord willing. Where'd they get that? Right here. You know why? Because if the Lord doesn't will, I won't see you later. (laughs) I won't see you later. Now, is he condemning making plans and making plans to succeed in your business or go somewhere? No, that's not at all the point. You know what he's saying? Don't become so arrogant that you think you're in control of the time that you have. Don't get so arrogant that you think you will live as long as you want to live. Because if the Lord doesn't will, you will not live another second. Your life is just like when you walk out into the winter air and you take that breath of air and you see that vapor come out of your mouth and all of a sudden it disappears just as quickly as it came out. That's your life. And if you don't believe that after after services, go talk to some of these older people and ask them, "How, how long is life? It's about like a vapor, isn't it, D? It's quick. Short. I'll tell you, we can get real arrogant. I did. September 18th, 2020, I got up that morning, started packing a bag. I was headed down to Cisco, Texas. Had this weird pain right here in my jaw all morning. And I do, I grind my teeth in my sleep. So I'm thinking, well, I I must have just been grinding my teeth hard. That's why that pain's there. So, you know, I take a piece of chewing gum and I'm chewing it. Sister from church comes over. She gives me something. I'm out cleaning my windows on the truck and I'm chewing this gum, I talk to her and go and kiss my wife and tell her I'm leaving and I go get in the pickup and I drive down to Toot and Totem there in Pampa and gas up and walk in there and get something to drink and come back out and I got in the pickup and I shut the door and that pain got really intense and as soon as it did, I could not catch my breath and then it happened. I mean, it just felt like someone was standing on my chest and I thought, what is going on? And I thought, I'm probably having an anxiety attack or something. Now, I've never had one, but, you know, I'd had COVID. And, and, and now I'm going off on a meeting, first meeting since I had it. And I thought, maybe I'm just super anxious or something. So I just thought, we'll just breathe through it. So I sat there for a few minutes in Tootin' Totem parking lot, just breathing. <sighs> Looked over at my watch. Pulse was 49. I thought, I'm good. But I wasn't. I was hurting couldn't breathe got dizzy thought I'm going to the house so I leave I'm driving toward the house and my wife is behind me and I pull up at the stoplight and she calls me on the cell phone she says hey Cisco's the other way what are you doing I said I don't feel good I'm just I'm gonna head to the house for a little bit I'll call them I, I may get down there late but I'm gonna call them I just need to go rest for a little bit so I went to the house I get out of the car my wife said what's going on I said well and I, I tell her all that, that I just told you. And she says, honey, you're having a heart attack. Go to the hospital. And I said, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm fine. I just need to go in and lay down for a little bit. So I go and get my recliner. And I'm laying there. And man, it, it's just getting intense. And I start feeling it shoot down my arm and into my fingertips. And she said, what are you holding your arm for? I said, well, it's hurting. She said, you're having a heart attack. And I said, I'm not having a heart attack. And she said, fine, whatever. That's my wife. She went back to cleaning house. Sister Ann Loder came over to bring my wife something, and she walked by me, and she said, you don't look good. I said, well, I don't feel very good. She says, well, what's going on? I said, well, I said, my chest is hurting, and I can't breathe, and I got this pain right here, and I didn't finish. She said, well, honey, you're having a heart attack. You need to go to the hospital. I said, well, thank you, Sister Ann. About five minutes after she leaves, the phone rings, and it's the elders of the church at Pampa, and they said, Sister Ann Loder said, you're having a heart attack, and you won't go to the hospital. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know it's a heart attack, and Nathan Bailey was who I was talking to. He said, does your chest hurt? I said, yes. He said, what are you doing? Go to the hospital. He said, are you worried about money? I said, I'll go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, and i tell you, if you go to the hospital and tell me you got chest pains, they're very efficient. I did not wait in the waiting room. They rushed me right through a door. I walked in. They started plugging me up with machines. The cardiologist came in, and he said, we're fixing to take you to the cath lab, and we don't have time. We just got to get you in there. And I said, what's going on? He said, you're having a heart attack. I said, okay. They get me in the cath lab. I, I watched them do the cath. I thought, well, this is interesting, you know. We get out, we go into the intensive care. I'm in recovery and in in ICU and my wife's sitting there with me and the doctor comes in and he says, well, I spoke to your wife and she said, you waited two hours at your house before you came in here. He said, I want you to understand something. You had a massive heart attack today and if you'd have waited, you'd have died. I thought about my kids. And the arrogance of their father to sit there and say, I'm not dying. I'm not having a heart attack. I'm six foot tall and 190 pounds and 40 years old. I am not a heart attack person. But I'll tell you, when he told me that, life got serious. It got real serious. You don't know. You just don't know. I don't know if this is my last sermon. I don't know if I'll see my wife again. You don't know if you're gonna make it home tonight. The reality is life catches you real quick sometimes and you, you can't control it. You're not in control, God is in control and if he doesn't will that you live, you will not live. I'll tell you the first thought I had when he said heart attack, I thought about 1996. Because that's when my uncle died at 45 years old of a massive heart attack. I think about that all the time now. Changes your perspective. I've seen 12 year old people leave this world. I was in the sixth grade. Marty and I had a girl that was in our class, she was my girlfriend. I got a call from her best friend and she said, Amber is brain dead. And I said, what? She said, she is brain dead. They're about to pull her off of life support. Twelve years old. We went to that funeral. I watched her parents cry. Watched her brothers confused. You know why? Because that's not supposed to happen. No signs, no symptoms, aneurysm. Undetectable. You don't know. I'm gonna tell you if you're not right with Jesus tonight, you better take the opportunity to get right while you're still breathing. While you've got time. Because you've got now. But you may not have later. You see, I got plans. So did my uncle Sammy. He planned to grow old with his wife meet his grandkids one day after his kids got married. Those plans got cut short. You go to people after you go to their funeral, you go to their house, you're going to see calendars with birthdays and anniversaries, with events that are coming up. Everybody's got plans. What matters is, have we planned to meet our God? And if you haven't, make that change tonight. If you've not obeyed the gospel of Christ, do that while you have opportunity. Come and obey Him tonight. Make it right with your Maker. If you are a Christian and you've been denying Jesus, you've been rejecting Jesus, you've been living in sin, come back to Him tonight and beg for His forgiveness. And He will forgive you and make you right. But do that now. Do that now. Because we really don't know how much time we have left. Number your days, friends, as we stand and we sing.